tonight. Glad you're here. Gonna take a moment and pray. Ask God's blessing, direction. Ask Him to power us up tonight. And then uh, we'll see what God will say to us through the Bible study. So let's pray. Father, thank you for the, the power of the Holy Spirit. We thank you that He is here with us, in us, Tonight we ask that He would anoint Your Word and that Your Word would really reach deep into us. I pray that uh, walls would be broken down. I pray, God, uh, barriers of faith would be broken down in our minds, in our spirit, our hearts. And I ask You, God, that You would clear the way in us for faith, real faith, to flourish. I just ask tonight that we'd be energized. I pray tonight that we would allow the move of your Holy Spirit in us. I pray, God, that we would lay down anything that we're holding to hinder your work and your move in us. And I ask, God, that your Holy Spirit would blast through any other walls and any other hindrances that there may be in our lives. So, God, I pray freedom tonight. I pray liberty tonight. I pray, God, that we'd respond to you. I give you thanks that you're faithful and you love us. And so I ask you to have your way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, open up to Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. If you need a Bible, it should be located on the table where you're seated. Reminder. Uh, for our podcast listeners that we have an interactive feature with Bible study and that is through a website at www.speakpipe.com that's S-P-E-A-K-P-I-P-E dot com slash Monday Night Bible Study all one word you go there to that webpage and there's a button that you can toggle and you can leave us what would appear to be a voicemail and we'd love to hear from you could be just saying hi or maybe you have a question about Bible study, or maybe you have a comment, or you just want to tell us where you're from. But we'd love to hear from you. could be something good God's doing in your life. So drop us a line, uh, leave us a message, and we'll endeavor to play that at our next Bible study. Matthew chapter 14 And I need a volunteer to read verses 29, 30, 31, and 32. Matthew 14, 29 through 
All right, thanks for reading that. A uh, familiar passage, uh, just a miraculous uh, walk of Peter as he actually walked on water and was going out to see Jesus. And then, as has been taught many, many, many times, he began to look at the circumstances around him, the wind, the waves, all the things that were going on around him, and he began to sink. And so he cried out, Jesus grabbed him, and brought him back to the boat. Now, to set this up, this is occurring after a bunch of people have been fed. Thousands of people have been fed. It was a miraculous feeding, and Jesus had been teaching, and all these things had happened, and miracles, signs, wonders, healings, all this stuff going on. And Jesus had uh, instructed his disciples to start on across the lake in a boat. And he went the other way up into a mountain somewhere or some hills. And basically they were getting away from the crowd. Uh, we know from the passages around this that the people were super impressed. Not only by the teaching, not only by the miracles they were seeing, the miracles they were hearing about, not only by the things that they were experiencing when they were with Jesus, but they, this miracle was an extraordinary miracle that they had seen where like thousands of people have been fed on nothing. And so they had in their minds to make him king. And so rather than deal with that, he sent the disciples one way, he went the other way, and they dispersed. Okay, you follow what I'm saying? So the disciples, for whatever reason, they had the road that they had going across the the lake that they were going across was something like five or six miles. And that may sound like a lot, but, I mean, you can paddle a canoe five or six miles and it doesn't take that long on water. Um, it's like we paddled from, say, Old Forge to Inlet. That's like 10 or 12 miles, all right? But it just doesn't take that long. And so, what for whatever reason, they didn't depart right away or... Something had happened, and they ended up not getting too far across the lake, and it was the middle of the night. And so as they were starting to go across the, the lake, what had happened was they were rowing across, and all of a sudden there was a breeze that came up. And then after the breeze, a gale came up. And after the gale came up, then they weren't making any headway. We talked about this not too many weeks ago about how these sudden windstorms will come upon uh, this lake, will come upon this inland sea. And it has to do with the geography of the area and how the wind moves through the geography of the area, the valleys and all the rest. And then all of a sudden it just, it, it gets really strong really fast. And so they ended up in a situation where they weren't making any headway and they were wet, they were weary, and they got caught in a storm. Now, they had been in this a storm like this before. Remember, we looked at the story about that, how they were in a boat, similar situation. They were trying to get across the lake, the inland sea. All of a sudden, a big storm came up out of nowhere. They weren't getting anywhere. Water was coming over the sides of the boat. But in that case, there was a difference because Jesus was with them in the boat physically. In other words, he was sleeping... But he was actually there. And they reached a point of desperation 
in that time, when that happened, when they were caught in the storm in the boat, that they woke up Jesus, and and so he woke up and he just calmed the storm. He rebuked the wind and the waves, and the storm dispersed, and that was it. And so they had, they'd seen this before. And now also keep in mind <clears throat> that they were a bunch of them were fishermen, and fishermen spent a lot of time in boats. And so they weren't novices. That Peter was a fisherman and Andrew was a fisherman, and they they were not they they were not novice boatsmen. They were people that had spent a lot of time in a boat. They understood a boat, and they'd spent time on that lake, and they knew that sudden storms came up, and they knew that these things could happen. And so it wasn't a lack of experience. It wasn't a lack of knowledge. It wasn't really a lack of skill. Because they had all those things, and they'd all been practicing those things since they were young. But there was something else. There was something else where they found themselves in a situation, and they thought for sure they were gonna they were gonna drown. They thought for sure the boat was gonna sink. So they woke Jesus up that first time, and he rebuked the wind and the waves, and everything was okay. This time they're rolling across. There's such a big breeze, gale force winds. They can't get anywhere, and they're just stuck in the middle of this lake again. Again, except for this time Jesus isn't with them. And so, there was something different about this. And, and, and so Jesus sent them this time on their own. Right, at least from their perspective. He wasn't in the boat with them. And so, as we see in this story, he sent them out alone to face this, whatever this is going to be, while he went and did something else. And I guess, bottom line is, let the lessons begin. Right? Because here they found themselves in this situation. Now, I do want to emphasize again, they'd already been in this situation before. <laughs> It wasn't that long ago. I mean, the whole gospel is, what, three years? So it wasn't long enough they would have forgotten, right? They were, it was freshly in their memories. And they had seen Jesus calm the waves and, and the seas. He'd already seen that, and the winds. And so they knew that he was more than capable of doing it. They knew that he was more than able of doing it. And see, that's one kind of faith. You follow me? That is one kind of faith. Oh, I know God can do it. I, that's not a very impressive faith, though. Okay? That's just that, that's that faith, I know God can do it faith. It's the same faith the devil has. Alright? It's not very impressive. Like, the devil knows, the devil believes in God, and the devil knows that God can do anything he wants. Alright? He already knows that. That is not impressive. What God's looking for here, what Jesus is looking for here, isn't, oh, God can do this. What he's looking for is a more impressive faith that says God is doing this. Right? And that's what needed to happen. In other words, this faith needed to take a jump from, oh, I believe in Jesus, and I believe Jesus can do this. How would they know that? Well, they've seen him do it before. Great. Not that hard. I believe Jesus is going to do this now. That's the impressive faith. That's the faith they're looking for. 
That's the faith Jesus is trying to build in them. That's the faith Jesus is looking to draw out of them. That's the faith that Jesus is looking to teach them. That's the faith. That's the stuff. That's the good stuff right there. And you think about your life and really the issues in your life and what you're facing in your life really don't revolve around do you believe that Jesus is real? Yes. Do you believe Jesus can do anything? Probably you do. You probably already believe that. That's not the hard part. The good part is all right, Jesus is going to intervene in my situation. Jesus is with me right here and right now. Jesus is changing my situation now. All right, that's the good stuff. They didn't have that. They didn't have that kind of faith. I prayed, I, I wrote down a little prayer when I wrote my notes to this. And I wrote these notes um, in 2017. Is I was reading this passage of Scripture, and I wrote notes to it in 2017. In March of 2017. In fact, it was on St. Patrick's Day of 2017. March 17, 2017, I wrote notes to this. And in my notes, I wrote a little prayer as I wrote down my notes to this. You want to hear my prayer? All right, here's my little prayer. It's not that impressive, really. It says this. It says, Jesus, call me out of my safety. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is, call me to where faith is possible. So that was my prayer when I read this. Call me out of my safety and call me to where faith is possible. And, and as, I, as I wrote down that prayer, I was thinking, these guys were out of their safety. They already were in fear. These guys were out of their safety because they couldn't control what was going on around them. These guys were already out of their safety because they were trying as hard as they could. They were exerting as much physical effort as they could, and they were making zero, no, nada, no headway whatsoever to get across that lake. They were stuck trying as hard as they possibly could they were stuck. And I thought about that prayer that I wrote down there. I thought, and this was a real question. I asked myself, I was like, do I really mean that? Do I really mean it? Do I really, am I really asking Jesus, am I asking, am I saying, call me out of my safety? Am I really asking that? Am I really asking him to call me to where faith is possible? Because from the looks of it, from these guys, Rowing with all their might, from the looks of it, these guys, scared out of their minds, from the looks of it with these guys, in a situation that they couldn't control, there was nothing they could do about it, and, and as strong as they were, and as experienced as they were, as, as knowledgeable as they were, as, as, as many times as they had been in this situation, this situation was completely out of their hands. Then what do you do? Do you really want that in life? And, and that's a hard question to really answer until you're there, right? But do we really like that? Probably not. Do we really want that? In other words, if we were to write down a preference, do I really want to be in that situation? If we had our preference? I don't know. Probably not. Not in a certain way of looking at it. We probably don't want to be in that situation if we value safety over everything else. 
We probably don't want to be in that situation if us feeling like we're in control is more important than anything else. We probably don't want to be in that situation if we want to just only depend on ourselves and not have to depend on anybody else. We probably don't want to be in that situation at all. But that's not really the place where faith is possible. The place where faith is possible is the place that is out of our control. The place where faith is possible is the place where as strong as we are and as knowledgeable and as educated and as experienced as we are, we, we just don't have the answer. See, that's the place where faith is possible. And in my apparent madness of reading this section of Scripture, it occurred to me that that's a better place. Not in the eyes of anybody else, I guess, but in the eyes of what really matters, that's a really better place. In the eyes of, I want to have more faith. In the eyes of, I want to believe God for more. In the eyes of, I really want to grow in my faith and in my relationship with Him. And I really want that to mean something in my life. In those type of contexts, in those types of values, then that this really does matter. And that prayer makes perfect sense. If all we're looking for is the status quo, if all we're looking for is survival, if all we're looking for is just to keep things the same, that prayer makes no sense. And so we need to make a decision. I mean, is, is it good enough? Is homeostasis good enough? That, that nothing ever changes, nothing's happening, we're just going to float along, that's good enough? Well, if that's good enough, then that's good enough. You don't want to be praying a prayer like that. You don't want anything shaken up. You just want to hold everything as it is and just kind of cruise along like that. It gets kind of boring after a while, though. And also, it's fairly ineffective for the kingdom. Because one thing about the kingdom is this, and the battle that we wage with our enemy. Us holding steady, he'll take that all day. Because that's victory for him. The kingdom has to advance. The kingdom has to grow. The kingdom has to become something that it's not right now. All right? It's like any living organism. Any living organism that stagnates is going to die. And so if we stagnate, in our relationship with God, if we stagnate in our relationship with each other, if we stagnate in our growth and our, our ministry and our, our working together in the kingdom of God and building the kingdom of God, if that comes to a standstill and we stagnate, it's going to die. That's just what happens. And, and the way life moves is that life has to move. And the way that life grows is that life has to move. All right? And that's just all there is to it. And so I want to encourage you that the option, the option of just staying the same, of everything just staying the same, is death. That's what it is. My 10th grade chemistry teacher, Mrs. Staff, who looked like Yoda, but wasn't green. She wasn't green, but she looked like Yoda. If you ever saw a picture of her, you'd be like, Yoda. And see, I took 10th grade chemistry before Star Wars came out. So maybe Yoda 
looks like her, okay? That could be. But she always she said something, like, I mean, it was all the time, at least once or twice a week. Because people complain. It's like, oh, we're moving on to this next year. Oh, man, we don't hardly know what we're doing now. <laughs> you know, and they complain about it. But she, she'd make this statement. And she said, the day you don't learn something new is the day you die. And there's something true about that. It's like there's always something learn, to learn. There's always something new. There's always something that, that we can draw from, that we can grow from. There's always something that's we're alive. And if you want to maintain... And that's all we want to do? We're just dying. And so in our faith, there needs to be, a, a hopefully, maybe, possibly, a change of perspective that embraces a dynamic faith, a dynamic life. That embraces something more than just keeping things the same. That looks out and says, well, well where can we go now? Or what, what can we grow into now? Or... Or what can you experience now? Or, or what's next? And having an expectation for something. Something more. Something next. Something to come. And so I'm going to stick with my prayer. Jesus, call me out of my safety and call me to a place where faith is possible. I'm going to stick to it. And some of the, the things that some of the best and greatest things I've ever done have been a result of getting called out of my safety and going and doing something that people think is crazy or people think is dangerous or people think doesn't make any sense or people think that why would you ever do that or all those things. Some of the greatest and best things I've ever done for the kingdom have been those type things where God just said, all right, come on. This is what I have for you. And I got up and I went and I did that thing, as crazy and stupid as it was. But it was something I, I believe that God had for me. And those were the times, those were the moments, those were the, the life-giving moments of growth in my spiritual life. And so the disciples, even though they had been through this situation before, now, now think about this. They likely, and I said likely, but they didn't. I can make a more positive statement that they had no expectation of Jesus coming. All right? None. He was in the boat with them before, so this had to wake him up. But in this situation, he had gone up in the hills. They had started rowing across the lake, and they're in the middle of this lake in the middle of a storm. They had no expectation of Jesus coming. None. I mean... You know, I, you get all these little things. Why, is he going to be in a little rowboat? And he's able to supernaturally row out to where they are. They had no expectation of that. How is he going to get out there? They're in the middle of the lake. They're in the middle of a storm. All this stuff is happening. How is he going to get there? No expectation whatsoever. And, and so what do they see? What do they see? Some guy, some guy or some form walking across the water. All right, what's wrong with that picture? Just give me one thing that's wrong with that picture. You can't walk on water unless it's frozen, right? And, you know, like you, if it's like a lake that's frozen, you can walk on water. That's, that's water in its solid form. But here was water in its liquid form. You can't walk on water. 
just can't. And so they, they're looking at this form coming at them. That's impossible. I mean, I know they had just seen, you know, thousands of people fed with a few loaves and fishes. That was impossible too. I know they've seen people that couldn't speak be able to speak, people that couldn't see be able to see. I know they had seen the dead raised. They'd seen all these things. Those are impossible things. But if you think about the human condition, you're in a you're dangerous situation, a situation where you're afraid, a situation where nothing's going your way, you're looking at it, are you going to think to yourself, you see a form coming across the water doing this impossible things. Your first thought going to be, oh, Jesus is coming to help us. That wasn't their first thought. Their first thought was, uh, the sea monster's coming to destroy us for good. Or whatever they came up with. Who knows? People make stuff up when they're scared, right? People will say things when they're scared. They'll make stuff up when they're scared. They'll see scary things when there are no scary things. When they're scared. Just the way it is. That's the way people are. And so they see this guy or this thing walking across the, the water doing the impossible. First thoughts are not going to be, oh, Jesus is coming. The first thought was probably, what's that? What's it doing on the water? And how's it going to kill us? That's probably what was happening. So even more scared. But like everything else, and, and, and this has always struck me about when Jesus revealed Himself, people don't recognize Him. And there's a few times in the Scriptures where people didn't recognize Jesus. They recognized Him not by seeing Him. Not by seeing Him. They recognized Him by His voice. And there's something key to that. There's something really key to people and to us being able to recognize Jesus by His voice. Now, Jesus described it as, as the sheep know the voice of their shepherd. And and so that's the way he had described that, that that there was this 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 connection that took place between sheep and the shepherd, and he's the shepherd, and that the sheep had trained their ears to know the voice of the shepherd, and they knew his voice when they heard it. And so, looking at this passage, regardless of what they were seeing, who knows what they saw what they perceived with Jesus walking across the water. But when they heard Him, they recognized Him. And I'll tell you, that's a weird thing. Voice is a weird thing. As most of you know, I run a class uh, at Edge, at a gym, a local gym. And in this class, I have to give instructions, verbal instructions, when to start, when to stop, I also give cues as to how much time is left, things like that. And the gym sometimes is super loud, like like really bad music playing loudly in the gym. And we may be spread out across the gym, the class that I'm teaching. So I might have people toward the front door, and I have people toward the ramp in the back of the gym. So, And sometimes I'll be standing in the front of the gym, sometimes I'll be standing back. Now, what's funny about it is, and people have been around may or may not notice this, but over time, as I am teaching this class and people are coming to class, people will be able to hear my instructions. All right? Over all the music, 
over all the noise, all the weights getting slammed down, all the people yelling or whatever they're doing, the other classes going on at the same time, as people are around in that class for a while, they'll be able to hear when I give instructions verbally. Weirdly. New people can't hear it because they haven't been around a long time. But over time, then they'll be able to hear it because they learn what to listen for. I'm not talking anything supernatural here. I'm not talking anything that has anything to do with, you know, the, the lambs and the shepherd or anything. All I'm talking about is just a natural thing where people, and you think about how dumb sheep are, if they can do this, people can do this. And they do it. That over time, they can distinguish one voice out of a hundred. To be able to know, okay, well, it's time to switch. Or there's a minute left. Or we're almost done. Oh, okay, we're stopping now. We can go rest and we're going to switch stations. And it's not just like there's one command or two commands, but there's a bunch of commands that are given. And being able to discern that over all the noise, all the, the, the commotion that's going on, everything that's happening, be able to hear that across that whole gym. And I know I'm pretty loud, but I'm not that loud. And so I, I look at something like this, how much more so with Jesus. How much more so, if that's just a natural thing, that we as humans, we can adapt to hear a voice. We can adapt to hear someone speaking and be able to pick out a voice among a hundred. We can adapt to do that. All right, that's awesome. But how, how much more with Jesus, that these guys have been hearing Him teach for all these years. They had been sharing life with Him for all these years. These are, these are guys that have been, been with him, eating with him, sleeping with him, traveling with him, you know, ministering with him, seeing all these things happen with him. And so when he spoke, they knew it was him. Even through the fear, even through the sound of the wind and the waves. And that stuff can be really loud, right? The wind and the waves can be really loud. Through all those things, they could hear his voice. And not only did they hear his voice, they recognized his voice and they knew who he was. And so here comes the call, right? This is my prayer. And this is my prayer. Call me out of my safety. So what does Jesus say to Peter? Come. Come. Come to where I am. Because that's where Jesus was, right? He's standing outside the boat. He's on the water. He's in the waves. He's in the sea. He's in the wind. All that's happening. He's out there. And so he looks at Peter, and Peter's like, yeah, you know, bid me to come. Oh, come on out. He's like, come. There's the call. Now, that wasn't elaborate enough, was it? Was that elaborate enough? Can you just say come? Like, oh, come on. Well, yeah, that's that's like the best kind of call, right? <laughs> One word. Hard to get confused. Come on. What do you think he means by that? Think you know. You know, it's not complicated. It's not something you gotta try to figure out. You don't need a lexicon out, you don't you don't need a Hebrew Greek dictionary out, you don't need a Strong's word or Young's word study out. All you got come, come on. Come on. Those of you who don't know anything that I was just talking about, be thankful. Come on. Come on. And so that's the call. Wasn't fancy. Wasn't elaborate. 
He didn't have to somehow uh, emphasize it. And, you know, so many times we're looking to say, oh, what, what's God's call look like in our life? How about come? Come on. Let's go. How's that one? Why does it have to be fancy? Why does it have to be something elaborate? Why do we need a fleece? Why? I mean, did Peter need a fleece? Well, Lord, let me first test this to make sure this is you. So I'm going to lay this fleece out. It's wet. It's raining. All right? If it's dry, then I'll come. No. He heard the voice of his Savior. He heard the voice of Jesus. And Jesus said, come. What more do you need? What more do you need? And yet, you know, what? I'm making fun of people that do the fleece thing? Yes. Yes. I'm making fun of that. I'm making fun of it. Now, listen, people talk about stuff like that all the time. Well, I'm going to do this, and I'll see what God says about that, and all these other things. Like, did he tell you to do this or not? If he did, do it. If he didn't, well, don't worry about it. Make your choices. Make your choices. But when God clearly says something, like here, you know, can you imagine Peter? It's like, Jesus is like, come, come on. Peter's like, well, I don't know what he's really saying to me. All the other disciples, he just said, come. What are you talking about? He just, he just asked you to come on out to the water. We all heard it. Well, I'm just not sure, you know. Is that what he really meant? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly what he meant. And am I making fun of you? Yes. Yes. I'm making fun of me, too. I'm making fun of us. Because that's what's funny about it. It's like, how, how much more simple could you be? Come on out. Come on. Pretty simple. And so he, he bids him out. says, come. All right. And I want you to think about what would stop you from getting out of the boat? What would stop you from getting out of the boat? What stops you from doing uh, things like this? Okay, it's fear. It's fear. All right, but how does fear manifest? Right, fear is correct. That that's exactly what it is, but it manifests in different ways. Like, what stops you from praying over somebody for healing? Think about it. What's that? Yeah, what if I fail? What if I fail? What happens if I pray over this person and they don't get healed? They're no worse off than they were before you started. That's the truth of the matter. The problem is, is that that fear in you manifests in that way. Alright, so whatever that fear is that is in you from taking that step, Whatever that fear is, it's in you from, from, from doing that thing that God calls you to do. I remember being at a big conference one time. And, uh, and uh, there, were these, there was a guy there at the conference that um, was in a wheelchair. This was out somewhere in the Midwest. And the guy was in a wheelchair... And uh, and so I forget who was preaching, and there and there were some guys sitting around me, or near me, like, "Hey, let's go pray for that guy in the wheelchair." All right. Well, and then somebody said, "Well, what happens if he doesn't get up?" I'm like, I don't know. Let's go. 
and I'm 20-something years old. I don't care, all right? I, I hadn't really thought that far out in it, okay? I hadn't really thought it through entirely. And like, well, let's go pray for him. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, do you think we're going to disrupt the service? With what? Praying for healing? What kind of service is this? I mean, you know, it, it's supposedly a spirit-filled, full gospel service. Somebody's up there preaching, right? Like, well, let's just go pray for him. Well, you think they'll get upset if you know we're up right? <laughs> I'm not even going to finish the story. All I wanted to say about the story is this: is that that was literally the, the discussion. But everything about that discussion was fear. Every single part of it was fear. It manifested differently. Well, what if it doesn't work? What do people think? What if that guy gets upset? What if these people are upset? What if we hurt that guy's feelings? You know, you follow it? And, and so it became this big discussion that was going on that I just, I couldn't even understand it. All right? I hadn't been around long enough to understand why any of those things mattered. I hadn't been a Christian long enough. Thank God. And so... Nothing that was they were talking about made any sense. I just kept saying, well, let's go. And they kept saying, but this, well, let's just go. Who cares? But, but this. You see, fear is so hard. All right, once you begin to entertain it. It's just really hard. It's hard to overcome once you begin to entertain it. Fear of failure is a manifestation of fear. Fear of offending people is a manifestation of fear. All those worries, all those concerns, all those things about that. If it doesn't work, that's a manifestation of fear. Jesus was letting them know not to be afraid. That's what he's telling them. That you don't need to be afraid. They recognized his voice. He's telling Peter, there's no reason to be afraid. It's me. It's Jesus. It's all right. It's all right. And so Peter reacts. Peter reacts with more enthusiasm than faith. I'll take that any day. <laughs> I will take more enthusiasm than faith any day. Alright? Just saying. But that's how he reacts. I mean, he doesn't react in some kind of a mature uh, manner, you know, mature Christian manner here. He he hadn't really counted all the costs. He hadn't really thought the thing through. He hadn't really, you know, really weighed out the options. He just heard the call. What was the call? Come on out. Come. That's the call. And he went enthusiastically. Kind of in a rash manner. Because it was Jesus. It was Jesus. And he called him out there. And is that, if that's as deep as the thought process got, good enough. Because y'all know the story. He jumped out of the boat and he walked on water. 
I'll take those few steps that Peter had over sitting in the boat and contemplating it for the next ten years. I'll take those few steps that Peter had over weighing all my options and making the most logical choice. I'll take those few steps. Because the, the truth of the matter was is that Jesus was there. The truth of the matter was is that it was Jesus that was calling him. The truth of the matter was that no matter how rash Peter was in his response to the call, no matter how rash that was, Jesus was there to catch him the whole time. Because if you really think about the call of all the disciples, didn't they all make rash decisions? People try to explain away the call. They try to explain away the call of Jesus. They try to explain away what, what that looked like and, and what these people's responses were. But Jesus, I mean, He's calling Andrew and, and Peter and He's calling these guys that, and they're dropping their nets and they're just following Him. They're just leaving their livelihood. They're leaving behind the thing they've been trained to do their whole lives. Leaving behind their trade. Leaving behind their families. They're dropping everything just to follow Him. Is that not a rash decision? It is, right? You know, and, and you look at the, the guys that didn't make the rash decisions. Jesus, He's calling disciples. He's like, come and follow me. And He's like, well, first let me go bury my father. Meaning, I have responsibilities as the oldest son in this family. And I need to, I need to fulfill those responsibilities. And then once my father passes away, I can pass on the rest of those responsibilities to my siblings and I can follow after you. I have responsibility to my family. And what was Jesus' response to that? You're unfit. Now, you look at that and say, well, he's being the responsible guy. He's weighing all the options. He's being responsible to his family. He's being responsible to the people around him. He's the responsible guy. And yet he's the guy that Jesus looked at and said, you're unfit. Who did he call and who followed after him? The guys that just dropped everything and left? Levi, the tax collector. He just closed up shop and left. That was it. I mean, all those guys that Jesus was calling, it wasn't like they were like taking a long time and figuring it out. It was, here's the call. Come and follow me. Alright? And they did. And they did. And you gotta think about taking those three years that they followed after him, or those three and a half years, or whatever it was that they followed after him, and then the life of meaning that they had after they followed after him. And you think about trading that for 30 years of what? Fishing? 30 years of, of working as a tax collector? 30 years of being a zealot? What's that worth? Is that a good trade? I'll take the three, three and a half years. Because that would be a better three, three and a half years than the 30 would ever add up to. Jesus was really clear about His expectations and about our responses. We just don't like to hear it. And and I know, you know, even me saying this and even me proclaiming this, there's just people that say, well, that's irresponsible. Say what you want. Say what you want. Well, that that that's not very mature of you. 
Yeah, go ahead. Say what you want about it. All I know is all the only reference I have is back to Jesus, really. And Jesus calling. And Jesus having people follow after Him, dropping their nets and following after Him. People closing up shop, following after Him. The ones that seem to be what would be virtuous by our Christian standards were the ones He said that weren't even fit for the kingdom. So how messed up is that? How messed up is that thinking? How messed up is that, that that we have somehow matured to the point that we're more mature than Jesus? More mature than His call, more mature than the miraculous, more mature than the supernatural, more mature than all that He has for us. Well, we've just matured past that. Really? How ridiculous is that? And yet, that's where we're at. That's where we're at. Unless we choose not to be. So the call comes. That's the word, right? Peter obeys. Because I want you to see that word come. It was more than just permission. More than just a command. It was a call. He wasn't just giving him permission to jump out on his whim. His rash whim. But it was a command. It was a call. And Peter responded to the call. And I, and I would I'd guarantee you that Peter probably had less faith than he supposed he had. He had more passion than his faith would actually justify. But why is it why is it? And this is an honest question. Why is it that young believers are more effective for the kingdom in a lot of ways than us mature folk? Why? Because maybe we, we've put this weird premium on what we call faith, which is really just self-justification to inaction. Maybe it's just not faith at all. I think it's good to have more passion than our faith would justify. Because our passion doesn't need to be justified by our faith. And the only way our faith is actually going to grow is for us to do things that we find out later are kind of stupid. It's the only thing I know how to grow faith. The only way I have any faith to go to some of the the stupid places I go to, to preach the gospel is because I've been to stupid places in the past. Places that hate Christians. Places that uh, that will actively persecute Christians. Places where they will put Christians in jail. Places that I've had guns pointed on me. I've been held. I've been put into uh, holdings. And all the rest of that kind of stuff. But how, what did that do? It built a faith to do even dumber things. And I'm sure the dumber things I have to do are still to come. At least I hope so. And all I can say 
is that we have to change the way we're thinking about things because I think we just got it backwards. Because those wind and the waves, you know, you look at them and you say, well, that was dangerous. Well, maybe, but it was also the, the very vehicle for growth that Peter needed. That was the vehicle for growth, were the wind and the waves. If that trip across that lake had just been smooth sailing the whole night, there'd have been no lesson learned. None. Peter would have never walked on water. They'd never even known that was a possibility. They wouldn't have known Jesus could walk on water. They wouldn't have known that either. They wouldn't have been able to recognize the voice of Jesus through a storm and through gale force winds. They wouldn't have learned that lesson of hearing His voice. They wouldn't have learned the lesson that their strength is not enough. They wouldn't have learned the lesson that their smarts are not enough. They wouldn't have learned the lesson that their experience is not enough. They wouldn't have learned those lessons if there had been no wind and waves. But you see, there was. And it was the wind and the waves is where the lessons were. And so as much as we like to to talk about Peter just, you know, losing, getting distracted and all this other stuff or whatever it is people preach about about Peter, he's got to keep in mind that he answered a call. He answered a call. And and his that rash decision to jump out of that boat, it was a rash decision. That passion he displayed to just move forward and answer that call without even weighing the consequences, it led to the miraculous in his life. This was a life-changing moment. Life-altering. But it never would have happened. Never would have happened. If he hadn't just did it. And so I just believe there's certain things in our life we just need to do. And I can only encourage you toward doing it. Was it for you? I don't know. I have no idea. You know, for, for Patrick's going to Iraq. Brother, there's dumber things God has for you to do. Good first step. Good. And for other people, it's been, you know, whatever. You know, go live in China or go live somewhere in Pakistan or go live somewhere else or whatever that is. I mean, there's dumber things out there. We can prove that. I mean, I've been lectured, I don't know how many times, by older people in the faith, which I'm thankful I'm getting older than most of them now. But, you know, older people in the faith lecture me about how irresponsible it is for me just to send people off into these places. In my mind, it's irresponsible not to. So, why are we just going to keep on going to the same places where everybody else goes? I mean, how many times have I got to hear the gospel in some of these places? Seriously. How many times? There's some places that we go that I've gone in the past, they send missionaries here, okay? Like Brazil. They send, Brazil sends missionaries here. I don't, I don't necessarily think 
We need to be sending a ton more people to Brazil unless there's something specific that God has for us to do down there on a short term or whatever. But there are lots of places in this world that need to hear the gospel. If you're called to Brazil, don't listen to me. You do whatever God calls you to do. Alright, I'm just giving you an example of why I believe what I believe and where, why we end up and how we end up where we end up. I mean, our first missionary, I think, was 21 years old or 20 years old when she left here. That was our first ever missionary and went to West Africa and knew nobody. I drove her down to New York City, put her on a plane and hoped I saw her again. Okay? And this is for the internet, really. There was a little bit of internet. We had to go to an internet cafe to use that little bit of internet. And you couldn't just use internet. And, and so, you know, putting her on that plane, leaving, I mean, it was days. It was probably a week before I even heard from her again. When you got somebody's mom or dad wondering what the heck you're doing sending their daughter to West Africa... By herself, not knowing anybody, not having a place to stay, no transportation, nothing. Where are you going to eat? I don't know. What do you say? What do you say? We need to allow for our passion. We need to allow for our call. We need to allow for the miraculous in our life. And that's the place where faith is possible. So Heavenly Father, I pray that you would uh, be going to shake us a little bit tonight out of our little safety and are striving and striving and striving to stay in, our, stay in our little safe place. Jesus, I pray you call us out of that little safety place. Call us out of our safety. And you call us to a place where faith is possible. I want to believe you, God, that there's even more stupid things that you're calling us to in the days and years, weeks, months ahead. Things that the whole world look at and say, well, that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Well, God, you're pretty ridiculously powerful. And you're pretty ridiculously full of resources. And you're pretty ridiculously, ridiculously full of love. I just want to say thanks for being with us. I want to say thanks for being there. I want to say thanks that you bring the call. You, you send out the call. I just pray for a bunch of people that aren't too old to answer it. A bunch of people that aren't too mature just to, just to answer the call and allow a little passion to run through our veins. I ask you, God, I mean, I ask you, God, that we'll be a people responding to you. Responding to you. I pray for the miraculous. I pray for the supernatural. 
I pray, God, that greater days are ahead of us as individuals and as a body of believers. I ask you, God, again, shake us from the doldrums. Shake us from our supposedly really safe places. And I ask God for open eyes, open ears. I pray, God, we would hear your voice, hear your call, and respond. Break down the walls of fear. Break down the lies of fear. I pray a freedom and a liberty to act. To act. For ask it in Jesus' name. Let's scream by saying amen. Amen. UCF of Syracuse is a relational gathering of diversity in action. Economics, education, employment, background, and culture span the spectrum as we gather for the purpose of life in Christ. No, me and Christ are homies. That's good. He's really cool, you mm-hmm. know? He's super close, yo. Your homeboy? Yeah. All right. Anyways, so musicians, writers, painters. You know, my cousin's a painter. Yeah? What do you paint? Houses. Oh, man. My cousin, your cousin should hook up. Yeah. So, yeah, painters and other artists express their work through the body of life of this faith community, like the community that. Yeah, so there's a lot of people. Yeah. No. Started in 1997. That's a long time ago, yo. That's back in the day. That was before I had my eyebrows tattooed on there. I remember that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As an outgrowth of chaplaincy of Syracuse University, UCF continues to gather in the Westcott neighborhood of Syracuse. Oh, me and my homegirls, we walk up and down there all the time. I know, that's our hood. Mm-hmm. So it's in Syracuse, New York, to share the love and hope of Christ. Again, we, we homies. You know, yeah.